And so this is week three, and we're going to talk about sin. But uh, in week one, we talked about the fact that God is. He is, he is uh, uh, an eternal reality of our world. This world has never existed apart from God. This world came into existence through God and by God. And the, the four characteristics that we talked about in week one are that God is eternal, God is triune, God is good, and God is glorious. Then last week, we talked about creation in a sermon titled, God Created. And the main point last week was that God created the world to reveal himself and to invite us into relationship with him. So, so far, we have, we've established the existence of God and some of his character. We've established his purpose in creating the world to reveal himself and to invite, him, and invite us into relationship with him. So what's the problem? Because in the very early verses of Genesis, as God is creating the world, he says again and again, this is good. He created, and then he said, this is good, and then he created more, and he said, this is good. And he just, at every step of creation, God says, this is good. If creation is so good, why is the world so bad? And it is bad. It's really bad. It's bad in in, in every way? Well, the answer is uh, very clear in Scripture, and it comes immediately after God's creation of this good world. The reason the world is bad, and this won't come as a surprise to, to any of us, I'm sure, is that sin entered the world. And sin separates. That's what I want to talk about today, that sin separates. We're going to look, if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3, the very first book of the Bible. So by, by the time we, we get just three chapters into to God's revelation through his word, we see that sin has come in and, and just totally wreaked havoc on God's creation. There are um, a number of points I want to make from Genesis 3. So if you do have a Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be real easy, I think, to follow along on the screen. If you have a handout, we'll start filling in some of the blanks now. Sin separates us from each other. What do we mean by sin separates? Well, it's, it's at least threefold, and we'll see that from Genesis 3. Let's look at Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And so we're assuming, I'm jumping in at a place here where I'm assuming you're familiar with the story if you're not. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, are in the garden. God gave them just one rule. There's just one tree. He doesn't want them to eat from other than that. He told them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, tend to the garden, carry on his creation, advance his creation, be his image bearers, be his representatives on the earth, and carry out his will. But he said, there's just one thing, uh, just don't eat from this tree. And now the serpent comes in and, sa- and challenges what God said. Did God really say... You can't eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at it and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So this is the entrance of sin into God's good creation. This is the first moment when what was created good becomes bad. It's the first act of rebellion. It's the first time that man sins against God. Adam and Eve disobey the command that God had given them not to eat from this particular tree. And we see that Satan, who is, who is, is in the form of the serpent here, that Satan comes in and he immediately challenges the details of God's command. And that's how Satan always works. He always gets us to doubt what God said. And he gets us to doubt what God said, and then he gets us to doubt whether what God said was really good or not. That's how all rebellion starts. And so they take this fruit and they eat it. And what's the first thing that happens? You have this man and woman who, as as far as the description up to this point lets us know, lived in perfect harmony together. There was no shame between them. There was no separation between them. There was what appears to have been blissful coexistence. They were happy together. They they enjoyed unity together just as God had created them too. And as soon as they sin, they find that they have this shame between them. And they want to hide from each other. Now, we've never never lived a, a day on earth. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. We do sort of start out this way as infants. We do start out sort of unashamed at nakedness. But as adults, there's, there's just really no concept that we still have of what it might be like to be naked and unashamed. And yet, in the Garden of Eden, there they are. And shame immediately enters in, and they began to separate themselves by, by fig leaves, this sort of crude clothing that they fastened together. Sin always separates us from each other. It creates a divide. When we sin, we're, we're separating ourselves from the people that God created us to live with. It separates us from one another in marriage. It separates us from one another in friendships. It separates us from one another um, in the work environment. Sin separates us from each other. But sin doesn't just separate us from each other. We see very quickly that there's even more separation. Let's continue on. Verse 8 of chapter 3 shows us that, God, that sin separates us from God. So the first fill in the blank, if you're trying to follow along, is sin separates us from each other. The second is that sin separates us from God. Look at verses 8 through 13. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. This is an enormous shift in the relationship between God and man in human history. It's presumed that God had had often come to speak with 
with the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, in the garden. But something has changed. We, we have to assume that normally when God comes to speak with them in the garden, there's no shame, there's no hiding, there's just, jo- there's just a joyful welcome. The Lord God is here. We, there's fellowship and there's, there's unity and there's joy together, but this time it's different. Adam said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. God knows something has changed. Of course, he knew before he got there. Then he said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Here's what we have to understand about sin. Because God gives a command that is designed to protect and to preserve man. He gives a command because he knows if they eat from that tree, they'll be ashamed. They'll be separated one from another. They'll be separated from God. He knows what happens if they eat from this tree. So out of his love and out of his kindness, he gives a command that is meant to protect and preserve. All of his commands are meant to protect and preserve. Soon as he sees that Adam is afraid and that he is ashamed of his nakedness, he knows exactly what happened. Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? As parents, I don't, you don't have to be a parent to understand this, but it becomes pretty real if you are a parent. Uh, you, you give commands to your children that are designed to preserve and protect them. You know, don't touch that hot stove. Well, why? Are you trying to keep something from me? Or do you want me to, do you want me to not experience something joyful and something good? And, and the, the kid touches the hot stove. Oh, that's why. Because it hurts. That command really was designed to protect and to preserve. And, and so it is with God. He gives this command. He says, don't do this. You can do this. That You can do all of this. Do everything that you can think to do in this garden. He gives them no restrictions but one. Have at it. Have fun. Be fruitful. Multiply. Procreate. Plant. Plant. A garden, do good things. Just take this and, and enjoy it and build upon it. Let your imagination run wild. Just don't do this one thing. Satan comes in and he says, ah, Did God really say not to do that? And they're like, Well, yeah, he kind of did. And Satan says, Ah, oh, I bet I know why he told you not to do that. He doesn't want you to be like him. And every child goes through. Some, some uh, degree of rebellion where they're questioning the, the commands of their parents. I bet they just don't want me to have some good thing in life. I bet they're trying to keep me from some enjoyable experience. Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, verse 12, The woman you gave to be with me, Ladies, it's nothing new. 
Uh, if your husband or your significant other is blaming you for all of the problems that exist in your household, that's nothing new. It's, something, it's, it's just something that we perfected in the very beginning. We're very good at this. We, we shift the blame to the woman, the woman that you gave to be with me. Notice he's not only blaming the woman, he's accusing God. You gave her to me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Do you see how quickly this has gone bad? No one is taking responsibility. No one is owning up to what they have done. Sin has fundamentally changed the way they view themselves the way they view each other, and the way they view the God who created them and gave them life. Sin sin separates us from each other. Sin separates us from God, and that is the biggest problem that we have in life. Not only that sin uh, creates a divide between us from each other, but ultimately that sin creates a divide between us and God. And then lastly, as we look at Genesis 3 here under this point of sin separates, sin separates us from creation. It doesn't end there. It's not just the relationship between uh, man and woman. It's not just the relationship between man and God. It's the relationship between man and creation is affected by sin. We'll just continue reading Genesis chapter 3, we'll we'll pick up in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat the dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. By the way, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is considered... The, the first gospel, the first time that there's any mention of what redemption is going to look like and that, that Satan represented here by the serpent, uh, he will strike the heel of the offspring of the woman, which is understood to be Jesus, and that that, that, that offspring, again represented as Jesus here, will strike his head. Verse 16, he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains and you will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Verse 17, and he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. Not just the serpent, Not just the man and the woman, but creation itself is affected by sin. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles and mosquitoes and skunks and all kinds of stupid stuff will start to come from the earth. And you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. Do you see the enormity of the shift from 
the way God's creation was. It was good. Everything was good. Labor was good. Gardening was good. You could work the ground in joy. You could work the ground without, without sweating from your brow. That's the way God's creation was originally designed, and now it's cursed. And it produces thorns and thistles, and it'll be hard to get it to produce what you need to survive. Not only that, but you began as dust, and from dust you will return. And that's the fourth thing that we see that we're separated from here. We're not only separated from each other, we're not only separated from God by sin, we're not only separated from creation, but ultimately we are separated from life. Sin separates us from life. Look at verse 20 through 24. And the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. By the way, so this is another foreshadowing of how redemption is going to come about. This is the first sacrifice. In order to make clothing from skins, what do you have to do? You have to kill an animal. And so this sin is atoned for and, and, and dealt with through the sacrifice of an animal. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming, whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. As soon as, as, soon as the first man and, and woman sin, they're separated from each other. They're ashamed. They're uncomfortable in each other's presence. They're separated from their God and their creator. They hear him coming and they run and they hide. They're separated from the creation that God created them to live in. Now suddenly what was a pleasurable relationship between man and woman in creation is now difficult and full of pain and toil and hardship. And ultimately they're separated from the source of life that God had designed to keep them alive. What we see here is called the tree of life. No longer will they eat from the tree of life. And so man's days on earth are numbered. He does not live forever on the earth as God originally in intended him to. Sin separates. This is, this is the most difficult of the four weeks in this sermon series, right? This is the heaviest. This is... This is the one that's probably least enjoyable to think about, but it might be the most important. Because if we're going to understand why so many things are going wrong in this world, we need to have a good theology, a good understanding of sin. This is what sin does. This is why God did not want Adam and Eve to eat from that tree. You think, well, what's the big deal? They just, you know, it was just fruit from a tree. Why, why was it such a big deal? That's what Satan said. 
What's the big deal? It must be because he doesn't want you to know something. It must be because he's afraid you'll become something, uh, something sort of like him. No, it's because God understands the destruction that sin will bring to his creation. And yet here we are, we did it. And, you know, we blame Adam and Eve, but look, if it was, if it was Fred and Kim or if it was you and, and somebody else, the result would have been the same. We all choose to rebel against God's commands, don't we? We all choose that separation, the separation from each other, the separation from God, from his creation, and ultimately we're choosing separation from life. This is, this is the nature of sin. This is how bad it is. Okay, so now I look at the world. I, come, I fast forward to 2020, a long time from the Garden of Eden, and I say, what's going on? Why is there so much turmoil? Why is there so much frustration, so much anxiety, so much hatred? And I look, and, I, and, and the Bible has the answers. It's because of sin. Sin is separating us from each other. That's what it does. That's what it always does. Why is there such animosity between man and creation? Why do we struggle to make creation do what we need it to do? Why, do, why, why, are there, why is creation seem to be fighting against us at times? It's because sin. Sin has separated us from creation. And then we think, why are people dying? Why do people have to die? Why can't we just live forever? Sin. Sin separates us from life. But the biggest problem that we have is that sin has separated us from God. That's where all of our problems stem from. We're out of communion. We're out of relationship with God. So what's the answer? We've just, we're looking at the first three chapters of the Bible. There are like a whole lot of other chapters after that. Surely there's a solution. Well, the solution doesn't come as quickly as you might expect or as you might want it to because there's a long period of human history before the final solution is actually revealed. And what we see that happens uh, in between Genesis 3 and Matthew chapter 1 being the first, the first chapter of the New Testament where in which salvation is revealed in Jesus Christ is that man attempts to fix his sin problem through obedience to a new set of commandments. Sometime after the Garden of Eden and it's Everybody has a view on how long that was and how long humans have even lived on the earth or how old creation is and, and, and all of those things. Those are, aren't relevant for what we want to talk about today. But sometime after the, the time of, of the Garden of Eden and the fall and Genesis 3 and all of those things that happens, God gives a new set of commandments. But this time he doesn't just give one commandment. He gives hundreds of commandments. And that's what's known as the Old Testament law. And, and I, won't, I won't go in, I, I won't try to catch us up on all of, all of the things that transpire, but just in case you're unfamiliar with how the Old Testament unfolds, God chooses one man whose name is Abram, and he changes his name to Abraham, and he says, through you, I'm going to form a nation, and that nation will exist 
for, as a means for me to reveal myself to the rest of the world. So one nation to show all nations what God is like and how to be reconciled to him, how to fix the sin problem. And he gives that nation a set of commands known as the Old Testament law. But what we learn after a couple of thousand years of the Old Testament law being applied to man is this. This is the next thing on your handout. That sin is revealed, not removed by the law. This is important to understand. It might, if this is new to you, it, it might take a minute to sink in. But sin is revealed, not removed by the law. What on the surface it appears that God is doing when he gives the law is that he's showing the way to salvation. What he's actually doing is he's setting man up to truly understand the real way of salvation. What he's doing is he is, for thousands of years of, trying, of people trying to apply the law, people trying to become good, he's showing us just how bad we really are so that when the solution comes in Jesus Christ, man will be ready to receive it. He knows the human heart better than we do. He knows that the natural human inclination is that, okay, so there's sin, it's created problems, I can fix this. Just show me what to do. Show me how to be better. That's what the Old Testament reveals. It reveals that it's really not about you being better because you can't fix dead and dead is what the Bible says that we are, that our spiritual, in, our, in our spiritual being, we are dead because of sin. What we need is not a little bit of improvement of our behavior. What we need is to be born again, to be brought back from death, and to be given life. So sin is revealed, not removed by the law. In other words, you can't, you can't do away with sin by outward behavior or behavior modification, let's call it. You can't become good enough on your own to fix your sin problem. Let's look at Romans 7 to talk about this a little bit. Paul, the Apostle Paul, now listen, you have to understand where the Apostle Paul came from. He was um, at the time, he, he, he lived during the time of Jesus and during that first century, as we know it now, um, during that first century, the Jews had become fanatics about obeying the law because they saw that their, their, um, their ancestors uh, never really succeeded in becoming the holy and righteous and, and good people that they were supposed to be. And so they were like, we're going to really do this right. We're going we're gonna to be fanatical about keeping the law. And so they not only sought to obey the laws and commandments that God gave them, but they added new laws so that they could go even further in their obedience. And the ones who were responsible for teaching that additional law were, these, were this group called the Pharisees. And Paul was a Pharisee. In other words, Paul was hyper-religious. He was obsessed with being perfect in how he applied the law to himself. He was obsessed with doing everything just right. And then he meets Jesus. And this is how he looks back on his days of trying to obey the law. He says in Romans 7, verses 7 through 13, What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would, have, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. 
And sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. So he's saying the law taught me I shouldn't covet. And then what happened in my own body, in my own being, is that I began to covet in every way. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. But sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. What he's saying, if I could just say it as simply as I can say it, is that sin is revealed, not removed by the law. In other words, so we've got a sin problem. If you agree to that, how are you going to how are you going to fix that problem? You could go about that a couple of different ways. Paul is saying, what I tried to do to fix that problem was that I tried to become really good. But the more I tried to become really good, the more I realized I'm just really bad. And the more effort I put into obeying the law, the more I recognized in myself that my entire being hates to obey the law. And naturally rebels against what is good. And I would, I would suggest that that was God's plan from the very beginning when he gave the law. Was to bring every human being to the point that Paul comes to. To the conclusion that he comes to in Romans 7. That the law, though it is good, does not produce the righteousness demanded of God. He said earlier in Romans, in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut in the whole world and may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. In other words, if you were to create a society where there were no laws, now you would... And, and we were all to join that society, we would, we would have a concept because we lived in a society of laws, uh, of good and bad and what was wrong and stuff. But if we were to, to birth a new generation that never knew anything uh, except for this society which was free of law, they would be to some degree unaware of how often they break the law because the law is not there to show them they're breaking the law. But take those who have been raised in this society where there is no law and place them into a society like ours where there are lots of laws. And every day you're going to wake up and say, oh my goodness, I just broke another law. I'm constantly breaking laws. I'm constantly doing what society says is wrong. Paul says that's how how the Old Testament law works. It doesn't come to, to make us better. It comes to reveal to us how bad we really are. On the surface, obedience to the law was supposed to resolve this issue of sin, but what happened instead was that it revealed man's inability to obey God. And it creates this need for a better way of salvation. That's what the law did. That's what God, through a couple of thousand years of human history, showed the world. 
Look, you can, you can try to address your sin issue by being better, but that has been tried and tried again and tried again, and it has never worked. Man, in his own effort, cannot raise himself up to God's standard of righteousness. If you want to be perfected, this is what the Bible says, if you want to be perfected by observing the law, then you have to keep all of it. And no one has ever done that. Even Paul, who was zealous for the law, who made it his, 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 his aim every day to be perfect in keeping the law, he just became exhausted and he gave up and he said, all this is doing is showing me how bad I really am. In trying to obey the law, we discover that we are not just a little bit sinful, but that we are actually spiritually dead. We are indeed unable to obey the law. We are unable to be as good as God requires us to be. We don't just need to act better. We need to be born again. So the last point that I want to make here, and I'll try to do this in just a few minutes. The last point here is that sin creates a need for salvation. That's what it does. The whole way back to Genesis, from Genesis 3, the first man and woman who sinned, all the way up until today in 2020, every one of us, because of sin, needs salvation. Needs salvation. This, I'm going to go, this won't be on the, on the slides, but just reference back to Romans chapter 7 where Paul is, He's wrestling with the relationship between salvation and Jesus and trying to attain salvation through observing the law. And he's, he was saying, I read this passage a minute ago. He's saying, look, it just showed me how sinful I am. And he's, he's, he's reflecting on his own sinfulness and his own inability to do good. And this is the conclusion he comes to. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And he answers the question, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Sin created the need for a a way of salvation. Law showed us that that way of salvation could never come from within. That there's nothing that, that is inside of us that can lead to salvation. Instead, it pointed us to the reality that if salvation is going to come to us, it must come from outside of us. And then God provides the answer in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to be the way of salvation. That's his plan of redemption. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that amazing? Isn't it good to know that you don't have to be your own savior? Isn't it good to know that you don't have to earn your way into heaven? Isn't it good to know that you don't have to fix everything that's broken inside of you and you don't have to make up for all of the things that you've already done, not to mention all of the things that you're still going to do that are wrong and that are sinful, that God has had a plan from the very beginning. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, he's talking about this salvation which is to come. He says, he says to the woman, he says, so, pain, uh, so um, bad news, childbirth is going to be like extremely painful from now on. You're not going to enjoy it one bit. But 
through giving birth from your offspring, there's one day going to come a man who I'm going to use to save the world. And the serpent who led you into this situation, who caused you to sin, he's going to attack him. He's going to attack that offspring. He might even think for a minute that he won because I'm going to let him strike his heel. But that offspring is going to crush his head. Romans 3, 21 through 24 says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. In other words, the Old Testament was leading up to this and and preparing us for this. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction, he's talking about Jews and and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. It's separation, it's separation from each other, it's separation from God, it's separation from creation, it's separation from life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. One more, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too... All previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. This is the normal human experience. What what is going on in the world today? A bunch of dead people are walking around carrying out the natural inclinations of their dead souls, which have been separated from each other, from God, from creation, and from true life. And they're wreaking havoc on God's creation. But the answer is found in Jesus Christ, who came to the earth. He became the first man to live out God's commandments perfectly. The Bible says there was no sin to be found in him. And he lived out God's commands perfectly. We're going to talk about this next week when we get to salvation. But, man, I can't, I can't end on sin. i got to end on salvation because we have the good news. He lives out God's commands perfectly. And then that's not enough. It's not enough for him to just live the perfect life. Somebody has to pay the price for what you and I have done and for what billions of other human beings have done as we've lived out our lives in rebellion against God. Somebody has to pay the price for what Adam and Eve did in the garden. And somebody has to pay the price for sin. And the only one who could pay that price is the only one who's never sinned against God. The sacrifice has to be good enough to atone for the sin. You and I can't pay the price for the sin of the world. Jesus, being the only one who ever lived out God's commandments perfectly, goes to the cross and he dies the death that you and I deserve because of sin. He takes it on himself. Do you see that transaction? He lives the righteous life, and then he gives you his righteousness. You live a sinful life, and he takes your sin. He makes that trade. He says, here, cover yourself in my righteousness, and give me your sin, and I'll go and die in your place. 
to all who believe. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Do you believe that message? Do you believe that you are a sinner who has rebelled against God and that because of of your sin, as it says in Romans 6.23, you deserve death. That's the penalty for sin. That's the wages of sin. Sin is no small thing. It's not a light thing. It's not something that we should take lightly. It's the reason the world is the way it is. And do you believe that you are responsible for your own sin, but that God, being rich in mercy, sent his son to die in your place? If you believe that, you can have salvation. Sin creates a need for salvation. God gives salvation. I can't wait to talk about that next week. I can't wait to talk even more about what God has done. But before we, before we end this message, I just want to... I just want to make sure you have the opportunity to believe in what Jesus has done for you. Because the Bible says that in believing you can be born again and that you can be saved and have your sin taken away and be given eternal life. So would you just do me a favor, close your eyes. And just between you and the Lord right now, and I'm not going to lie, I'm going to look. Because I want to know, I want to know who I'm praying for today. If there's anybody here who says, that makes sense to me. I know that I'm a sinner. And I give up today. Today I give up trying to fix me. And I trust in and I believe in what Jesus did for me. And I want him to be my savior. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand so that I can see it as I, as I close this in prayer? Thank you. Is there anybody else? All right. Those of you who have raised your hands, I want to lead you in, in, in praying and asking Jesus Christ to be your salvation today. Jesus, we know that we are sinners. Every one of us in, the, in this room We know that we need a Savior. Today I believe that you are that Savior. And I ask that what you did when you lived the perfect life here on earth and then went and died for the sins of the world, that you, through that, would take away the guilt and shame of my sin. Raise me to life. And bring me back to you, my creator. And help me to live out the rest of my days on this earth, trusting in you and believing in you, seeking to live my life as as a follower of Christ. Thank you for this gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.